Welcome into the newest episode of Side Mission. Like always, I'm your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by all three of the boys today, Kyle, Matt, and Thacker, and it's the big one. It is our third annual Side Mission Top 10 Game of the Year episode. I, I cannot believe we've already done three of these. Kind of crazy. So, that being said, before we get into the actual list and we get into how we actually voted on things, let's talk about some games that we each voted for, or that we each didn't really put on the list, but were more honorable mentions for the list. Kyle, we'll start with you. What what's a game for you that came close to being on the list but ultimately just didn't make it? For me actually, uh it was a game that came out very early in the year, back in March. Uh Shadow Warrior Three. Yeah, was, I, I figured that uh, might be yours. <laughs> yeah, it was a game that really got me into the series. Um it was not a very serious game, kind of lighthearted, really goofy. Um, but the gameplay was what sold it on me. It was just so much fun to go around and, you know, kill these different enemies and find all these different kinds of weapons and different ways to take down enemies. And overall, I think that it was probably one of my favorite games I played this year. It was just so early on that the amount of games we got after it really overshadowed it. And I'll say my honorable mention, and it, it was very close to being on my list, and I'm actually kind of like, dang it, uh, it's going to be Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope. Um, it did everything that I wanted it to do, and then some... Yeah, I was kind of surprised that wasn't on your list. I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. It's because that I didn't want to put so many Switch games on my list, because y'all already call me the Nintendo fanboy here. Hey, so. You still put like seven <laughs> Switch games on your list, my man. I can't oh, lie. Man. Oh, man. But, yeah, <laughs> I think that it just slightly missed my top ten, because uh, it, it was just such a big year for so many games, especially on the Switch. Like, Switch had a great year, and it just narrowly missed it, um, mostly due to the fact that, like, as much as I love the combat... Um, these kind of strategy RTS games are just really still not my forte, but I still greatly enjoyed for what it did. Yeah, honestly, the one thing that threw me the biggest for my honorable mention was, and I'll probably get hoed for this later on, but Kirby and the Forgotten Land was my honorable mention. Um, it just barely missed the list, only on the simple fact of I love the game, love the gameplay. It's just everything on my list just. I could see myself going back and playing more, and that's really just kind of where my list came from for this year. Yeah, for my honorable mention, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of stay in the Switch realm, and this is gonna this is gonna draw probably some laughs, but it's a game that I've actually picked up and played really really recently. Harvestella actually came really close to making this list. It, it oh, really wow. it really that's a surprise. It came very close to being on this list. And the only reason it didn't is because I wanted to avoid recency bias and that, you know, it's still a game that I'm freshly playing and I'm really enjoying it. But I will say, as someone who doesn't really always enjoy games like Harvestella, I, I've really, really fallen in love with this game very, very fast. A lot of things about the gameplay that are really satisfying, really relaxing, and the story is really interesting as well. So, And it looks really good for a Switch game, so I think that that's always, you know, a good thing. So, with that being said... Let's move on to one of my favorite aspects of this of this list every year, and that is the games that received votes but did not make the list. This year, surprisingly enough, a, a lot of our, our lists were fairly similar. Now, in terms of placement, there was quite a lot of very there's quite a lot of variance. But in terms of the games we all voted for, there weren't that many that we've all voted for that didn't make the list. So this year, this list is only six games long. So the biggest game 
that didn't make the list, and this is a game that if you told me earlier in the year this wouldn't make the top ten, I'd be shocked, is Horizon Forbidden West. And that only made one person's list, and Matt and Matt ranked it tenth overall on his list. <laughs> it got one singular point. Um, in addition to that, a couple of games that only made, I believe, one list, and they're both a couple of first-person shooters, Overwatch 2 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Neither one of them made the list. Wow. And I believe oh, that Lord. Kyle is the only one that voted for both of them. I believe he is. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, one of you can tell me. But again, two excellent first-person shooters. Really good year for FPS. It just didn't make the just didn't make enough lists from there. We've already talked about this game once. Mario and Rabbids did not make the list. Oh. And this was a game that was actually really, really close to making the list. There are a lot of Switch games on this list. Like I think y'all are going to be surprised by how many Switch games are on this list. And speaking yeah. of Switch games, the last two games on this list are also Switch games. One of them is one that myself and Thacker both voted for, but unfortunately we both put it 10th on our list, and that is Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. Okay. And the last one is Xenoblade Chronicles Shitstain 3. So that's 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 the last one that didn't make the list, but Matt voted for it. And, and I will go ahead and tell you right now, uh, it was three points away from making the list. It was the closest of all of these games to making the list because of how high on his list Matt put it. So, without further ado, we are six and a half minutes into this episode. Let's get rolling with this list, fellas. So, number 10. I want to go ahead and give a little perspective here. Number 10 has eight points. Mm. Number one on this list has 37 points. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh wow. And you're going to hear me say this again later, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. Game of the year was decided by one point. Oh, that's wow. fucking insane! It was that's it was decided crazy. by one point, and I think that everyone has a good idea of what two games are up there. But we'll get there in a bit. For now, we're gonna start at number ten, and in my opinion, I one hundred percent believe this was one of Nintendo's best games of the year. I know Kyle loved it. I know Matt loved it. I think we all loved it, really. In fact, we said that it gave this franchise really the Mario Odyssey treatment. Number 10 is Kirby and the Forgotten Lands with te- with 8 points. Let's go. So awesome. Kirby, again, again, I, I really think this is good for this list that, that Kirby and the Forgotten Lands made the list. I really enjoyed this game. Kyle, we really enjoyed playing this. So we talked a lot about this game when me and you were both playing through it. Just what is it that made mm-hmm. this game special for you? For this, as a longtime Kirby fan, I think it was the reinvention of the franchise. It was the way that they took Kirby from, you know... Uh, kind of a kind of a 2D side scroller. I mean, he's had a few 3D games here and there, but they weren't really that great. I mean, I know that you know there were a few on the GameCube, like Kirby Air Ride, for example, and it didn't sell well. So Kirby has not had this big of a 3D adventure in a long time, and I think that they absolutely knocked it out of the park with the game, yes. and so much so that I would enjoy a sequel, if not more games in this same play style. I loved the way that they had the movement and the controls. The different abilities they added were a lot of fun. The upgrading of abilities was a really cool feature that they added. Overall, I think that this was one of my favorite Switch games of the year. I agree. I think that on a large scale, I think that there's a good argument that this was the best Nintendo Switch game of the year. And the crazy thing is, I'm going to count them up real quick. There are actually three other Switch titles that made the list. 
That's wow. probably the most in side mission. We very rarely yeah. have had this many Switch titles in the top ten. I think last year there was one or two. And the year before that, Animal Crossing New Horizons was the only one that made the list. Um, yeah. But Kirby and the Forgotten Lands, there's absolutely an argument that it was the best Switch title of the year. But it, it was certainly, at the very least, one of the best. So, from number mm-hmm. 10, we're going to go down to number 9. So, I told you, fellas, there was one tiebreaker. And it was for the number 8 spot. Meaning that this game lost the tiebreaker, but tied technically for 8th overall with another game. And I think that we can all agree this was one of the biggest surprise games of the year. I would say personally the second biggest because, hint, hint, there's one in the top five that was just a little bit bigger of a surprise. But nonetheless, whether it was gameplay, soundtrack, level design, what have you, I think we can all agree that our number ninth game, Metal Hellsinger, was an excellent first-person shooter. So, Thacker, this was a game you really loved. I know, Kyle, Kyle, did you platinum this? Did you platinum this game? I did. You did platinum this game. This is one of the many (laughs) platinums you got this year. Uh, but Thacker, I know you really enjoyed this game as well. Just tell me, what made this game for you? A lot of people said it looked like a Doom clone. And I think we can all agree it was way more than that. What made this game special for you? This game brought so much to it. It brought the gunfights. It brought the soundtracks. It had so much going for it. I loved it to death. I still see myself going through and playing it more. Uh, eventually, I'm going to have the platinum for it with kyle of course (laughs) but it is one of those that this game if you like your metal if you like your killing demons and everything this game is for you i agree kyle the rhythm the rhythm gunplay that's something that we don't see a lot in gaming nowadays and, and i feel like that that gameplay is what made this game so unique Oh, definitely. I don't think I've ever seen a game like this that is a rhythm first-person shooter, especially to a metal track, let alone a ton of them from really big, well-known artists. I think that this game, it did something new where, you know, it both added, you know, rhythm and first-person shooter gameplay in that Doom style that I don't think's ever really been done before. It absolutely worked for me. My only complaint was that it wasn't longer. By the end of the game, I wanted more. I'm right there with you. I I hope this game gets a sequel. Uh, One of the best indie games we got as well this year. Really loved it. I think Troy Baker absolutely killed it in his role in the game. The gunplay was great. Uh, Level design was good. I feel like the enemy designs, too, were very, very top-notch. Oh, yes. Naturally, in all tiebreakers, if you have a game that loses the tiebreaker, it means you also have a game that wins it. And the thing is, y'all have probably realized at this point, we have not heard from Matt just yet, outside of his honorable <laughs> mention. And our, I think our number eight game is a good spot to really get him in here. So, Matt, let's talk about our number eight game in our top ten. Let's talk about Splatoon 3 and why it was hey. a really, really good Switch game. Honestly, probably my favorite Switch game that came out this year. Yes, this this is a game I was super excited for when they announced it last year, um, especially how many hours I put in Splatoon 2, and it's just the same great gameplay that we come to know and love since Splatoon. It adds a, a whole new element with a new story, which has some batshit crazy-like um, adventures to have. And the final boss fight, I can't express enough. And the <laughs> online play, like, one of my favorite parts about Splatoon 3 is is finally having people to play with. Uh, like, I got Thacker, I got Rusty, and I got tabby and it was just so much fun that first night that we got it and rusty we got this platoon switch 
And it was yeah. just a fun day when the game when the game came out and we were all playing it. Now, unfortunately, the disconnects were, were common and we did get punished for it, even though it's like we weren't necessarily the ones disconnecting. But the gameplay is still just so much fun. And I still go back and I play it. I'll still be playing it next year, especially with the new Splatfest coming up. I keep choosing the losing team. So we're going with whatever Rusty picks this time. Um, <laughs> so that I can be the reason we lose. Exactly. <laughs> so that I can be the reason. Team Sour, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Team Sour, baby. No, I agree. Uh, this is my first... Um, this is really my first venture into the Splatoon franchise. It's a game I've been curious about for a few years, and I loved Splatoon 3. The disconnects were frustrating, um, but I love Splatoon 3. I think that it's it's a great game, and I feel like if you're looking for a fun game to play with friends, yeah, it can be frustrating because obviously it's a competitive game, but I, I think that Splatoon 3 does a lot of things right for a multiplayer game, and for Nintendo to struggle as much as they do with online servers, with online multiplayer you know, I feel like they, they did a really, really solid job as a whole once they got all of the disconnects figured out. So, Splatoon 3, absolutely worthy of being on this list. It definitely, it made my list. So, I, I was really, really happy to see that this game made the final list. Uh, as well as our number 7 game. A game that I'm, I'm going to come out and say that earlier in the year, I was very hard on this game. But as I played it more and more, I grew to love it. We've talked about it several times at nauseum. It was in my top five favorite Pokemon games of all time. So our number seven game is Pokemon Legends Arceus with 14 points, beating out Splatoon and Metal Hellsinger by one point for the number seven overall spot. Uh, Matt, I'm going to stick go. with you, man. Uh, this game did a lot of things differently for the Pokemon for the Pokemon franchise, and I feel like there's a lot of good changes here they can carry forward. Oh yeah, yeah. I I remember when this game was announced because um nobody nobody suspected it. Like this is like you see leaks all the time, but Pokemon Arceus nobody knew about it. We got the uh, that Pokemon Direct where they announced uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and everybody's a little bummed out that we were kind of getting this like older older like 3D style based off of the old uh, DS games. But then that trailer popped up and you saw it for the first time. They said, we're kind of going with an open world aspect of Pokemon. And I literally was like, okay, this is this is going to be amazing. Like, I, I really hope they can pull this off. And just when the game released and starting up for the first time, and it actually had a story because a lot of Pokemon games just tend to kind of like put the story to the side for the most part. But they did so much good stuff here. Like the Pokemon and the overworld, like being able to see them, and especially if they're shiny, which was a plus. And I love the fact that they added new mechanics with the battling where you had real-time battle where you can move the trainer around, um, being able to change your moves on a whim and adding the, the new styles as well. And then, again, with the new with the new po Pokemon games, we get new evolutions to older, older Pokemon, which a lot of Pokemon got some love here, especially Gen 2 Pokemon. So I love the fact that this is the future of the franchise and that they're sticking with it, as we see with Scarlet and Violet. Absolutely. And not wait to see what else Game Freak does. Just let's get that engine upgraded and let's actually get a lot of your textures and, you know, a lot of the problems that we've been having as far as, like, the graphics go because Pokemon is is better than ever. I agree. And I think that Thacker... You you were a real advocate for this game early in the year. In fact, you you were you and Matt both really really fought for this game when it came to what we talked about, what we wanted to talk about regarding this game. Um, I feel like... If the, if, if the Pokemon Company, if Game Freak, and if Nintendo, if, if they get the performance side of things fixed, 
there, there's only up from here when you look at potentially getting a sequel to Pokemon Legends Arceus because Arceus was already such a such a great game. It was absolutely amazing, and you're right. If they can get the graphical aspect of this fixed to where we're not having as bad of pop in, if we're not having as bad of texture issues, all of that, these games are going to end up being more and more amazing. Pokemon has come so far in the years that it's been around. Keep it coming. Just let's do something about updating these graphics because that's going to be the biggest hindrance on it. Yeah, the biggest thing is performance. The biggest thing is textures, is pop-in, is frame rate. If they get that down, I mean, there's already mods that have come out within weeks of Scarlet and Violet being out that allow it to run at 60 FPS. If a modder can do it, then Game Freak and Nintendo absolutely can. So, and, and I mean, we see it with other games on the Switch. There are other games on the Switch that run at 60 FPS. It's possible for sure. So, if they get that fixed, man, it, there, there are bright, bright days ahead for Pokemon. And um, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a little spoiler alert. <laughs> we not done talking about Pokemon on this list. Oh. We not okay. done just yet. So, let's move on to now. number six. So... I mentioned before we got on here that I was probably going to hoe Matt and Thacker. Oh. And this is where the hoeing begins because I'm going to be real, real honest here. And this is proof because everybody, I know that everybody listens to these episodes probably thinks, well, Rusty gets puts the list together. He probably rigs it to where his favorite games get blah, 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 blah. Uh, our number six spot is proof that I don't. Because oh. our number six yeah. spot, and to be quite honest, our number five spot when we get to it, our number six game is a game that belongs in the top five. And instead, it's number six. Oh, no. And our number six game is a Plague Tale Requiem. Oh, what? no. Is a Plague Tale oh. Requiem. For full disclosure, I would like to point out and be real, real honest about where I ranked this game on my list. I ranked this game second overall. Oh, wow. I ranked, oh, I ranked this game second overall. I'm not going to get into what I ranked around it or in that spot, but I believe that a Plague Tale Requiem... Is far more than the sixth best game that came out this year. And I'm not going to stay on the ranking itself because of the fact of the matter is when there's four guys, it's hard for any game to make the list unless we all vote for it. And to be quite honest, can't really blame Thacker because he didn't play a Plague Tale Requiem, was not on that episode. Can't really blame him. Matt did not have it on his list until he sent it to me and I said back to him, wow, no Plague Tale. Kind of surprised by that. And he took out High on Life and put this game in the nine spot. Uh, <laughs> can, can I say something real quick on that? Go ahead. No. Go ahead. I just want to know, Matt, and I want to pick your brain on this real quick. That's fine. High on Life was an amazing game, and I will give it that. But Great I game. saw I you guys playing Plague Tale. And just from what I saw, I personally think Plague Tale is far superior than High on Life. Why? Matt, I have to ask, did you forget about it? Did that happen? Yeah, I did. That's um, fine. I it think, happens. I think, the problem, I think the problem was that High on Life was just so fresh in my mind. That's and fair. I, I hear that. Yeah, I, I think that's what happened. And I, I'm not I, mad I, at I it. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. It is what it is. I mean, if you forgot it, you forgot it. We played a lot of games this year. But back on a Plague Tale, I want to say this. Because I think that, you know, Kyle, me and you have obviously put the most time in on this game. And the biggest, biggest negative we came up with was the fact that it only ran at 30 FPS. But it ran very smoothly at 30 FPS. It wasn't a bad 30. Like, there is such a thing as a good 30 FPS and a bad 30 FPS. 
A good yeah. one means that it's staying there and it's not dipping at all. A bad 30 FPS means that it's dipping and it's fluctuating all over the place. Um, I gotta be honest, Kyle, and I think that you, you'll agree, this is one of the best stories that was told in video games all year. I thought this story was incredible. Oh, absolutely. I I loved the first game, and I was a little late to the party on it, but I did um, beat it and platinum it before the second game dropped, Yep. and the second game took everything I knew from the first and expanded it tenfold. They really went all out with the combat in this game, and that was honestly my biggest negative about the first game was the combat was very very minimal it was pretty much just a sling and there were only like you know certain instances in which you could actually you know take out enemies in this game there was so much more room for experimentation like the ways that you could use the crossbow were insane not only could you shoot flaming bolts to you know make rats move out of an area that you're trying to get to you could also you know um um you could shoot the smoke bolts that will completely cover an enemy and turn out their lantern um you could shoot the i cannot remember what it is the crystals that attract them i can't remember what the name of it was but i know it's the odor the uh the is it the odorous i think I yes think that's the odorous yeah you could you could put that on a bolt and shoot it at like a wooden platform and it would attract the rats where you could shoot it at a person and like you know, the sling obviously got a big upgrade. You could, unfortunately, not hold multiple stones in the sling. However, I feel like they balanced it by not only allowing you to upgrade the power, but also allowing you to upgrade the speed in which you throw the stones. I think that this game was definitely how you do a sequel. Yeah, it improved on everything, and... Listen, I, I, I thought that there were some amazing performances in all of gaming this year. There really were. You know, Troy Baker was awesome in a few roles he's been in. Um, I know despite all the controversy around a game that we haven't talked about Bayonetta 3, I know that Jennifer Hale absolutely nailed that role from everything I've heard. Um, and there's been great performances. And, you know, obviously Christopher Judge was fantastic in God of War Ragnarok as well. I really believed that Charlotte McBurney should have won Best Performance at the Game Awards. I Agreed. genuinely believe that her performance as Amicia was one of the best performances I've seen in years in gaming. I, I was really, really impressed. She became one of my favorite voice actresses because of that game. Um, just a really, really dark, gritty story that makes Last of Us Part Two look bright uh, by comparison. Yeah. But but just an emotionally heavy story, and I, I I loved it. I thought the gameplay was improved almost entirely across the board. I think the stealth was kind of kind of lateral from the first game, but I mean the stealth was already pretty solid in the first game as well. So I didn't really have much of an issue with that. Um, and again, you know, despite the thirty FPS, really beautiful looking game at, at some points, like a really really beautiful looking game at several points. So, uh, Plato Requiem, personally, uh, I believed. It belonged in the top five. I believe that it belonged in the top three, based on my list. But, alas, we move on to um, the top five. And sadly, the top five begins with another game that I feel like got really screwed. And, uh... It's just kind of disappointing when great games end up a little bit lower on this list than they should. And you're, you guys are going to figure out what, what game ultimately screwed these games over soon enough. But number five is a game that 
Well, it might be controversial us putting it on the list, considering that the original version of this game came out years ago at this point. But, Last of Us Part 1 was fantastic, and it's number 5 on the list. Number 5? It made number 5 on the list. Alright, alright. So... Matt... I'm slamming your balls in a waffle iron. <laughs> Ooh, ouch! Ouch! So, the I have one if you need. I will tell you this: the primary reason why Last of Us Part One came in fifth, I voted it in my top five. Kyle, it was your second favorite game of the year. It was. Thacker, I believe it was pretty. It was relatively high on your list as well. I think it was sixth on your list, Thacker. So you you put it. You put it. You put it at a pretty good spot on your list. So when three people put a game that high. Normally, you think, okay, that game's like a shoe-in for top three in all likelihood. Um, well, you can blame the game that was ranked at number four. We'll find out that in a bit. But, Kyle, I want to go to you specifically for this. We're in the top five, and we're only we're not even half an hour into this episode, so we can talk a little bit more in depth about the top five and why we each like this game. Kyle, this was your first experience with, last, with the first Last of Us. This was, was your first time playing it, so tell me, do you think that's the main reason why you put it at number two? Do you think that it's just obviously experiencing it for the first time, experiencing the story? Do you, one, did this game live up to the hype for you? Because I, you clearly put it at number two, but talk about playing this game for the first time. Did I overhype it or no? This game, the the PS5 version, is the definitive way to experience this game, and I feel a little spoiled that I never played the, the PS3 or the PS4 remaster but instead, I got to come into this with the PS5 remake on the brand new engine with the amazing DualSense functions. That 3D audio really captured the performances. I think that what they did with the way they were able to show emotion on the characters' faces, even without having them say a word. I agree. Fantastic. I mean, I was so blown away by this game. I loved every second of it. I actually went back through and platinumed this game. I loved it that much. This, it, it, if it hadn't been for Plague Tale Requiem, this would have been the greatest story told. And, and that's just personal bias because it's my first time playing it. This was, you know, one of the greatest stories told this year, even though it was technically told, I don't know what, eight years ago? Uh, about 10 years ago actually at this point it came shit. out i want to say it came out in 2012 i think it came out in 2012. wow holy yeah. cow yeah y'all feel old yet old holds up holds so up really well much and i mean the the remake was beautiful the graphics were so amazing to look at i mean this game really was a spectacle if you have not played it i highly highly recommend it it was my number two for a very good re and that was definitely because of personal bias but if you especially if you have not experienced the original and if you have if you played the remaster if you played the original i think there is still something to come back to if not anything solely to see how beautiful they really made this game look and feel this, in my opinion, is the definition of, like, this is what next-gen looks and performs like. This game, absolutely. Yes. This is what next-gen should look like. As someone who's played the first game several times before this, and yes, I platinumed this one as well, and I loved platinuming this one and having it alongside my Part 2 Platinum. 
Um, I absolutely saw plenty of reason to get into this game and to buy the expensive Firefly edition and to, to get back into this game despite having played it so many times because this is a game that the story is just so timeless, man. It really... It, it it withstands the ten nine ten years it's been out. It withstands it, and it seems like it's gotten better. The story has aged so well. So that, yes. and then I love the interface as well, bringing over the Last of Us Part Two interface to this game as well. Really loved that. Loved that I got to play Left Behind for the first time as a part of this package as well. I feel like I really got my money's worth there. Love Left Behind, one of my favorite add-ons to a game ever. Uh, just a great, great story add-on. Thagger, you you played this game too, and I remember. Um, was this your first time playing this game as well, or have you played the first game before? Believe it or not, I'm right in the same boat as Kyle. This was my first playthrough of this game, and I loved it. Did you think at all that it was overhyped? Um, to be honest with you, no, not at all. The game was amazing. I'm just I'm glad to know that right I'm not with... overhyping these games for y'all. That's the main thing. Yeah, no, not at all, man. Like, Kyle said it spot on. This game was incredible, and I'm right with there with him. I feel spoiled that I didn't experience this the same way you did, Rusty. Hey, but... be, hey be thankful you didn't, man, because, listen, the 3D <laughs> version, it's not as fun to look at now. Like, the PS5 version really makes that version look a little muddy. But it's, oh, no. so, it's so amazing to see this game survive the age of time for video games and have these remasters to just get better unlike some remakes that we've seen <clears throat> skyrim um that was Grand Theft Auto. skyrim was a remaster this one was an actual remake yeah we did a whole a full remake. we did a whole episode kyle me and you kind of discussing like what a remake is versus what a remaster is and this game yeah. anyone's calling this just a high price re- remaster i feel like i feel like you're just hating for no reason it's like you got hate in your heart that you need to just let go of because for real like this is what a remake is man like improving all quality of gameplay i mean i i, I don't know how you could call this game a remaster i really don't because it just looks so much better than the original version than the remaster for ps4 even it just looks so much better it runs so much smoother I love this game. So that begs a question, yeah. Matt. I have a question for you. And if the answer was, you know, you didn't really play the game because you just didn't pick it up, that's fine. Why did this game not make your list? Unfortunately, uh, the game came out, um, and I was not able to. I, I, I did not buy it this time okay. around. But I really did want to. And I, I do, at some point, do plan on picking it up, especially because I do believe it's been on sale for a while. And yeah. I did play I did play the original, just like you, Rusty. So I, I'm right there with you. And no, this game is not overhyped. This this game is is Naughty Dog at its best storytelling, and they have Uncharted, like Naughty Dog. Yeah, there's a lot, a of, a lot of good going on here. There's a lot of people yeah. using people call them Naughty God online. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, that that was my main thing. It's my main thing whenever I uh, whenever I tell my friends about a game that I love and that I think they should play it. That's my number one thing is I worry about overhyping it. So I'm glad that this one met the expectations that were set. Um, because yes. th- this really is one of PlayStation. This is one of PlayStation's best exclusives. I always tell people, like, you look at the best exclusives, man. It's up there with, with God of War, with Spider Man. It's up yeah. there with Bloodborne. It, it's, it's like PlayStation it's up there. Uh, and you, you know, PlayStation has built a really, really good catalog of exclusives. And Last of Us for me has always been near the top. So. Uh, just a again a really 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 impressive remake. Love Last of Us Part One. Hate that it only ended up at five, but at least it's in the top five. Um, 
Now, moving on to the game that screwed over Plague Tale and Last of Us Part 1. If you're Matt and Thacker, you're probably looking at your list and you've probably figured out what game it is by now because, listen, I, I love this game that's at four. I love it. It made my list. I'm trying to think about where I ranked it. I think that I ranked it seventh, I think is what I ranked it. So it, it, it you know made my list, but it ultimately didn't make the top five. Um, in retrospect, Matt ranked it as his third best game, and Thacker ranked it as his second best game, and that is why number four is Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> oh wow! And okay. I can't help okay. I can't help but feel that I need to give just a little bit of my opinion here, and then I'll move on. I don't quite see the argument. If you played both games, I do not quite see the argument for Scarlet and Violet over Last of Us Part One over Plague Tale. And to be quite honest. I don't really see that argument for it being over Legends Arceus. If you want a fun fact, I actually ranked Legends Arceus higher on my list. Oh wow! So I, I personally I'm don't impressed. see. I personally don't see that. But again, I love Scarlet and Violet, so I'm willing to let y'all talk about it. Matt, I'm going to stay with you. Why? Why did this game ultimately make your top three? In fact, or I'll get your opinion afterwards as well. Okay. I want to say is it's because when um, you know. Legends Arceus came out. We we saw like what Game Freak was going for when they were talking about an open world Pokemon game, and then you know you kind of get that feeling that like, it's not really open world. But then I think what put um, Scarlet and Violet up ahead is is the fact that this was this was a new generation, and it's like the most hyped time as a Pokemon fan when we're getting a new gen. And like to me, it was it was such an upgrade on on Gen Eight with Sword and Shield, and then. Like it took the oh, it took the open world and it made it fun in my opinion. Like I, I liked what they did with it. It had a lot of performance issues, and I'm just really thankful that none of us seem to have been receiving the same kind of response that a lot of other people online have. I mean, you've all seen you've all seen the the, the, the gifts there. So, but like the, the the freedom that you were given, basically being told this is you know what you can do. You can go battle the gym leaders. You can go do um. You can go battle against Team Star. Or you can do the other thing. I forget what what was it called. The uh, oh, the Titans. Yeah, the Titans. The Titans, exactly. And and the fact that like you're able to traverse this world, and, and there's no load times unless you're going in from like the the main like hub area. I didn't really have like too many issues um, with loading times. I mean, obviously, with the performance of the game, it did have it did struggle a lot. It did, um, but. I, I liked a lot of the new Pokemon that were introduced as well. I think this was a, a strong generation. I know a, a lot of people kind of disagree with that. I, I think Sword and Shield was also a really strong generation as well. And I think that the entire package itself is just something that is going to stick with me. And even the post-game, like, we've been doing the raids, which has been a lot of fun, uh, a lot of frustration. Hello, Charizard. But... There's there's some good post content here, and with with knowing that DLC is coming, and and a story that actually pulled up to heartstrings, like it did a really good job on the story. And One of their best loved, stories for sure. I do agree with that. Agreed. And that's just something that I want to commend Game Freak on is that they finally took a risk. It's not something that they do very often. Like they always constantly take away things from previous generations but this time around it's like and i really enjoyed the, like the terrestrial thing compared to like the dynamax from sword and shield it, it's fun and i love the fact that for the first time i'm able to play a, a mainline pokemon game with my friends online 
which is something I hope the, the, that's something that sticks with uh, future generations. So oh, I agree. That's just that's just one of the many things why it was so high up on my list. I will say that I may not agree with the final ranking of Scarlet and Violet at number four overall, but I will say again, I love this game. So much so to the fact that I bought the double pack and I double dipped on Scarlet so I could play it like the first night it came out digitally. So I have really enjoyed this game. Thacker, I know for you, um, a lot of why you ranked it so high was replayability. Absolutely. I love my Pokemon games. And for everything else on it, real quick shout out. Rusty, thank you for the support for the double pack. Matt, thank you for the support on the double pack. Kyle, you're too far away. I get it, but thank you anyways. Uh, (laughs) But no, like, I love the replayability of this game. There's so much to do. There's so much you can go out on. Game Freak did take that risk with changing some things that they normally don't do. We have three storyline missions in this game. We have a grand total of 400 Pokemon in the Pokedex. Gen 1 Pokemon got some new love. It's one of those that I absolutely loved it. I love being able to go through, have these new mechanics, try everything out. And one thing that really is making that replayability stand out for me is shining hunting is no longer easy. It's actually a challenge. If you run Matt's past about to get triggered. You called shiny, it easy before. He's about to get triggered. I'm, I'm sorry, bud. I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> But it's one of those where you actually have to pay attention to your surroundings now instead of what we got in Arceus where there's stars popping up and a sound or you initiate a battle and it shows the shining. Now you actually have to pay attention to your surroundings. And I love the replayability of it. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I will give this game its props. I think that the story ultimately is why I love this game as much as I do. The terrestrializing is awesome compared to Dynamaxing. I love that Pokemon's typing can change because that can flip an entire battle if you can terrestrialize. All of a sudden, you go from being weak to a certain type to you might have a resistance to it and have attacks that are strong against it. So it really is an interesting... I feel like Dynamaxing was kind of their first, like, like, kind of dipping the toe in kind of seeing how this worked and then i feel like terrestrializing is okay now that we've tried this let's let's add a lot to it let's see what we can do to really make it interesting really make it unique and i feel like they did a really good job of that add in the fact that again there is a fair difficulty curve to this game it's not easy at all and i like the openness the open world is is really what sells this game it's what gives this game its value um, you can go do anything at any time. You can, you know, go after any storyline that you want to go after after right away. And and I like that. I like the mixture of Pokemon that are in this game. And I, I really enjoyed Scarlet and Violet. I may not agree with it being ranked fourth overall, but but it's certainly a really great Pokemon game. And, and I hope that Game Freak, Pokemon Company, Nintendo, I hope that they fix the performance with their next game. And I hope that the next game is a big step up because, again, there's bright days ahead for Pokemon if they can get the performance figured out. So, all of that being said, we have now reached the top three. This top three is probably very obvious. <laughs> the top two is certainly fucking obvious. That's not... That's not. <laughs> the only question is, where did, where did one game rank? Where did the other game rank? But at number three, <laughs> I want to give you all an idea. I told you all that Kirby at number ten had eight points. 
Metal Hellsinger, Splatoon 3, both had 13. Splatoon 3 earned the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker it earned was because it had one top five vote. And it was mad. So that's where Splatoon 3 got the tiebreaker. Pokemon Legends Arceus got 14 points. It was 7th. A Plague Tale Requiem had 16 points. It was 6th. Last of Us Part 1 had 19 points in 5th place. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet had 21 points. Our third game finished with 23 points. And it was, and it's, I don't think it's arguably, it's the biggest surprise of the year. And in my opinion, I'm on record saying this, and I'll say it again, it is my pick for the greatest indie game of all time. It is Stray. Yeah, Stray go. comes yeah. in third. Kyle, <laughs> we tried to platinum this game as soon as we could. I platinumed it ten and a half hours after release, which is kind of fucking crazy to think about, really. That was about games nowadays. What made this game great for you? As a cat owner, I immediately fell in love with this game. I think that playing as a cat was so interesting. The way that, you know, this game didn't have a single spoken word of English. It was all done through subtitles and through, you know, just genuine sounds. It was such an emotional story. The gameplay was a lot of fun. The platforming, the puzzle solving, the world building. This was the greatest indie game I think I've ever played. And not just that, the best looking indie game I've ever seen. This game was gorgeous. My favorite part was when you got into the city and you were just getting to explore because the whole post-apocalyptic neon lights with the robots everywhere, it was just so gorgeous to look at i i have a very very soft spot for this game in my heart as a cat owner watching that opening cut scene hurts every single time every fucking time it does <laughs> i hope that they make a sequel because annapurna studio knocked it out of the park with this one i think that this was this in any other year, would have won Game of the Year. What an incredible feat for an indie game to pull off this level of craftsmanship. What I love most about this game is not a single word of, of the English language is, is uttered the entire time. Like, there's text, there's robotic sounds, and there's meows. That's, that's, that's the audio you get the entire time for quote-unquote dialogue. And yet, it manages to tell one of the most emotional stories in all of gaming. You're right, Kyle. As a cat owner, the opening cutscene fucking hurts, dude. It hurts to watch as a cat owner. And there, there's so like you get to the end of this game, and you know there's you know events that transpire, and you know one of your companions that you've been with the entire way, ultimately, spoiler alert, has to sacrifice himself for you to be able to be free. Again, there's not a single word of the English language uttered, and yet it manages to tell an emotional, heartfelt story. I can't commend Annapurna enough for this game because I think that it's a fantastic game as a whole. Gameplay-wise, it's great. Performance-wise, it's great. You you know, it's crazy. You know that you say in like Batman: Arkham Knight, you play, you feel like the Batman, and in Stray, you genuinely do feel like a cat. You genuinely do feel like a cat, and I feel like that's not as easy as they made it look. I feel like there's probably a lot of time, a lot of hours that went into trying to create that feel and create that level of gameplay. Kyle, we didn't even get to the dual sense functions, dude. The dual sense yeah, functions dude. in the game were great as well. 
Yeah, that was pretty... I love how when you were scratching at things, it actually put the resistance in the triggers. So it actually, you know, made you feel like you were the cat scratching on that post or scratching on that tree. I didn't love the speedrun trophy. Not gonna lie. No. <laughs> that was that was that was the most uh that was the most anxiety inducing part of the platinum was having to beat the game in under two hours but but it was also a lot of fun it was also a lot of fun it's a very very fun game to platinum it wasn't the hardest game to platinum ever believe it or not it's actually one of my rarest platinums i don't know how the fuck that's possible um but wow. exactly like i don't know how that's possible at all but again stray fantastic game one of, if not the best indie games of all time. It's the best indie game this year by far. I'm glad that at the game get the game awards, it won best indie game, and I'm glad that it got recognized in mainstream media for being the achievement that it is. I really love Stray, so it coming in at number three. That that makes up for that makes up for the disappointment of Plague Tale not being in the top five for me. That makes up for it a little bit because I did love Plague Tale, but I also really did love Stray. Stray was really high on my list as well. I think I put it fourth overall. Um, in the top five, but again, Stray, really, really high quality game. I loved it. So, with that being said, fellas, it's time to reveal the big ones. Let's go. I'm ready for this. Kirby in the Forgotten Lands had eight points, and it was ten. Stray was third; it had twenty-three points. Our number one and number two games were separated by one point, and our second place game had thirty-six points. Ooh. <laughs> So, I really... God, this is so hard because both of these have such an argument for Game of the Year. It's so hard. I want to say, before we get to these two, we legitimately, as gamers, need to be thankful for this year because I think we saw two of the greatest games of all time come out. And for different reasons. Everyone knows what games from. Everybody knows the games that are in the top two. Just everybody's just waiting to find... I'm just, I'm just killing time before I deliver the news of what made number two... Mm. I'm just trying to kill time and, you know, try, try to, trying to kind of push that off as much as I can, but I probably can't push it any further. So, here we go. Coming in at number two on the top ten with 36 points, it's God of War Ragnarok. Oh, no way. God of War Ragnarok oh, finished one point out of Game of the Year, but as I will continue to say, God of War Ragnarok had every argument to be game of the year. Mm -hmm. Two of us put it as game of the year. And the two people that put it as game of the year were Matt and Kyle. Okay. Y'all were the two that put it as game of the year. Every, we all, obviously, we know what number one is, but we're not going to gush about number one just yet. Well, let's, let's gush a little bit about Ragnarok. First of all, Kyle, man, the wait and the anticipation for this game. I don't think there's anything like it. There was nothing yes. like the wait and the anticipation for this game. And it met and exceeded every expectation. This game, I think, was my most anticipated PlayStation exclusive yes. in a long time. The 2018 game really that was another game that reinvented the genre, the franchise, not the genre, the, the franchise of God of War, and took it in a new direction. This, I know that behind the scenes, the developers actually debated making this a trilogy and settled on just doing a sequel this was just a one and two game and you don't see that a lot anymore everybody tries to push for three they had such a massive story 
I would have accepted a, a, a whole entire third game. What impresses me the most is that they were able to wrap up everything about this story and still leave enough questions to wonder what is coming next. Yeah, I agree. I think that's like the best quality of this game is that it's it's very like there's a sense of finality to the story. Like we know how it ends. We 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 know that this is very much the end for like this set of characters in our likelihood. But there's also a fair amount of open of open endedness that you know we don't know where Kratos is going to go next. I hope that it's Egypt. I hope that's where we go next. God of War Egypt sounds badass to me, but you know there's not many. And Matt, I'll go to you for this. Because we made the we made the portals comparison to Avengers Endgame. We there's did, we there's did. there's not many scenes in gaming this year that got the hair on my arms standing up quite like the moment where Kratos blows Gallarhorn and begins Ragnarok. So many incredible moments in the story, Matt. Yep, and, and everything came together so well with what they built starting with the 2018 game, and it was just so satisfying to see this conclusion to. Obviously, we know Kratos' story is not over, and I love the fact that at the very end of the game that you see there that, you know, he's finally depicted as a god. He's worshipped, he's looked at, and everybody everybody did such a phenomenal job in this game. The characterization, the, the world building, it's getting to explore all of the different realms finally, because you were just, you know, teased um, in the 2018 game. But they did, every every world felt so new, and so well crafted and there was a lot of character moments in this game that are going to stick with us for a long time like there's one in particular that still sticks with me i still go on youtube occasionally and i watch that scene and i know some people i think it was uh you rusty you were like you kind of saw that whole twist coming with odin and Tyr, right yeah i i felt like i kind of saw it coming because Tyr wasn't really all that helpful and then they really kind of give it away when he calls uh atreus loki as Tyr. Okay. Exactly. Kind of gives that away. But, I mean, it's still a good twist, I thought. I thought it worked for the story. Exactly. Yeah. And the improvement with the combat was just another, like, excellent thing that they did. And there's a lot of post-game content as well. Like, I know the majority of us, we platinumed the game. And it was a really fun platinum to get. I'm not going to lie. Let's just hope um, Thacker, because he's the only one that didn't do it. Way to go, Thacker. Way to not nice platinum the game. Thacker. You ruined it. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> For the episode. See, uh, I don't even care about number one. I'm just, <laughs> but, uh, Bye, Kyle. I, I'm just really looking forward to the future of the series because we we don't exactly know where yes. it's going. But I do love yeah. I do love the concept of Kratos going to Egypt because there's so much like lore there to explore. You um, here on side mission first. Here's the lore. Yep, big facts. <laughs> big old facts. Hey, that's the thing about lore. It's everywhere. <laughs> It's in McDonald's. It's in you. Like that's the thing about lore. <laughs> no, but I but I agree, Matt. I you know what? I want to make one other prediction before you continue, Matt. I think if they don't go to Egypt, I think the other thing. I think it we we will either see the Hindu gods next, or we'll see the the Aztec the Aztec gods or the Mayan gods. I think those are those are the two that if it's not the Egyptian gods, I feel like it's going to be those two. Yeah, I, I've also he been hearing some talking online that they could also go Celtic as well because that would be interesting. To go with it, but uh, my 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 final statement here is the fact that this game, what it did the best in my opinion, was Kratos' character development finally came full circle here, where he, you know him changing changed fate. 
because Kratos was destined to die here. But the moment he yeah. tells Loki it's time to start to care, I feel like that that's where they finally, you know... That's where he avoided his death, yeah. Exactly. And it all comes full circle here, especially I played the original God of Wars. Kratos was relentless, merciless, just a psychopathic killer. And just seeing him come to peace and, and, and finally having a satisfactory, like ending for him not, not necessarily ending his, his his story but this what they built here with these two games it was great to see that with kratos and i just, i love the dynamic between him and atreus they're all throughout this game and everything just came together perfectly yep i'm, I'm a massive fan of this game i really do think that again you know we talk about games in playstation's catalog that are at the forefront of what they've done the best Again, I will tell you that God of War 2018 and God of War Ragnarok, there's not very many, like, games, you know, two-game two series that are better than this. I would put this up there with both Last of Us, with The Last of Us, and with Plague Tale, as I think those are the three best games that, as of right now, only have two, or three best series that only have two games. Obviously, Last of Us Part Three rumored heavily. There's looking like it likely will be a third Plague Tale game. But as of right now, like, in terms of games that a series that only have two games in them, God of War is up there as one of the best. Man, they've really created an incredible, incredible story in these two games. Thacker, I'll let you kind of close us off here with number two. What what part of Ragnarok do you think will stick with you the most as as time rolls on? The lore, honestly, the lore because going through and seeing all these different characters, all these different creatures. And just noticing little details that I didn't notice the first time, it's absolutely incredible. Especially because if you think about it, in the game when you're going to the mermaid, essentially, did you guys notice her face when she saw the Omega symbol? I actually did not. So when she saw the Omega symbol, there was a lot of like disgust and like, oh, really? He's not of this realm. And then when it showed the Spartan symbol, it showed that there's a lot of growth and development from who Kratos was. And it was absolutely incredible to see, yet again, another moment in gaming this year where there's no word spoken, but a lot of emotion and recognition with all of it. Yeah. So, honestly, game's going to go down as one of the greatest games in this year alone, yes, but also I feel like time. this game is going to go down for a long time. Yep. I've said it, man. As gamers, I feel like we can only be thankful this year because we had so many great games come out. And I really feel like this and our number one spot are going to be games that are remembered for a long time as two of the greatest. Like we're, I feel like when we all get to the point where we have children and we hopefully get them into gaming, as long as we're all not failures at that point, Looking at you, Matt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I feel like these are going to be two games, like our number one spot in God of Iron. I feel like these are going to be two games that we say these were two of the greatest games that have ever been released. They're classics. Uh, you know, I really do think we're going to view them that way. So God of War Ragnarok absolutely had a massive case for Game of the Year. 100%. And, and I went back and forth on how I ranked it. And it, it, it was it was a very hard decision for me personally to not put it at number one. 
And I almost feel bad for not putting it at number one. I'm not going to lie. I almost feel bad. Uh, with that being said, in, 20, in 2019, our game of the year was Last of Us Part 2. Last year, our game of the our game of the year was Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. This year, our number one game with 37 points, one more than God of War Ragnarok. It couldn't be anything else. It is Scorn. <laughs> Hell fucking no. It's Elden. It's Elden Ring. I'm done. Our game of our game of the year for 2022 is Elden Ring. The, Let's the, go. the magnum opus Let's the go. magnum opus of from software the culmination of of years of work and it, it did not disappoint whatsoever great boss fights throughout a compelling compelling storyline that yes souls games do have stories let's stop acting like they don't but again a compelling compelling storyline a really good open world the most impressive part of all of it how From Software is able to put their formula in an open world format. Absolutely loved it. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you guys just talk about it. We all ranked it pretty high on our list. I think the lowest it got ranked, period, was third. In fact, I'll tell you this right now. For God of War Ragnarok and for Elden Ring, the lowest on anyone's list they made it was third. Wow. They were all they were ranked in the top three on at least on everyone's list. And, oh boy, it, we, again, we came with a point of having a tiebreaker. Can you imagine a tiebreaker for game of the year? No. That would be incredible. That would be wild. And by every metric that we would have done tiebreakers, I would have had to, we would have had to settle it with, like, an injustice tournament. Was how we were going to have to settle it. Like, it was that All right. But, but uh, you know, Thacker, I'll start with you because we both put it as our game of the year. Um, what made Elden Ring your game of the year? What didn't it make it game of the year? Why oh, wouldn't you I? cop out answer? I'm just kidding. Go Why ahead. Why wouldn't I? Like, come on, man. This game was incredible. It looked fantastic. It played amazingly. I really don't have a lot of issues with this game, if any. In fact, I think when we were talking about the episode, talking about the game on the episode, I think we were all struggling to find something wrong with this game. Outside of, like, of course, the, uh, the balancing for multiplayer when it came to bosses. But regardless, it was incredible. The minor details was amazing. We still use the joke, you maidenless fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, I cannot, without a single doubt in my mind, see a reason why this game was not my number one. And I'm so happy that it won game of the year. Uh, Yeah. Man, sorry, David. I know you wanted Game of the Year to be God of War, but <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it. you could rub it in his face, man. Not only did it not win the Game Awards Game of the Year, it did not win the Game of the Year that matters. It did not win the side mission Game of the Year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But again, like it, I think people need to understand like how razor close of a finish this really was. Like you know, last year. Matt made the joke in the episode about, like, once I read off what number two was, like, oh, I wonder what the fuck number one could be. Because I think last year, three of us had Rift Apart as our game of the year, and Thacker, for some fucking reason, put fucking Scarlet Nexus or whatever. Or whatever the hell fucking anime game he played. That was his <laughs> game of the year on the list. But oh, Scarlet Nexus. Oh, same yes, thing. I know. Same thing. Same difference. Shit ass game. Doo doo ass game. <laughs> Didn't belong. I'm just kidding. But 
Have you played it yet? Yes, and I didn't like it. So okay, at least you have an opinion. That backfired on you, but uh, you know, let's just talk about this because again, like this is a game that this and and Thacker, your girlfriend Tabby, knows all too well about how it consumed that household. Um, don't, don't remind me. But can we can we just like me. Kyle? Have we seen anything like how games like this and God of War how it just. This seemingly just overtook everyone's lives, and even people that weren't hardcore gamers were giving these games a try. I don't know that we've seen anything like this, man. Yeah, the way that this game took the 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 Soulsborne like formula and flipped it on its head, they said, you know what? Instead of making players go down a linear path where if you get stuck on a boss, you got to beat him if you want to progress. In this game, you can go anywhere from the very beginning. You can explore so much, fight so many different kinds of enemies. I mean, there is so much to this game. The map was huge and so impressive. I loved how they were able to find such a great balance between, you know, action and adventure and exploring with that classic difficulty that the Soulsborne games are going to bring you. Elden Ring really found a way to, I think, change this genre up so much so that it stands on its own, aside from Sekiro, aside from Bloodborne, aside from Dark Souls, it really is and always will be its own kind of game. And, I mean, unless they were to do, you know, a direct sequel, I don't know that you can ever have that initial shock value, that initial, you know... I don't even know that that serotonin of booting up that game and exploring everything for the first time. It was so new to those of us who have played the Soulsborne games. And I mean, it was such an experience you really have to see for yourself to understand. I agree completely. I think that there's there's so much to love about this game that even the most frustrating parts of it, you know, you you know, obviously you can be mad in the moment, you can rage at the game in the moment, but I feel like it's easy to also really appreciate a lot of the things in this game that maybe you didn't like in the moment. For me, it's Melania's boss fight. I appreciate the difficulty in that it made me earn the Platinum Trophy, and it's one of my favorite Platinums that I have right now. Uh, but in the moment, obviously very frustrating. I, I appreciate it for what they were going for and for them creating an optional challenge like her as well. Uh, Matt, take us home on this point, man. Just How long is it going to be before we see another From Software game do what Elden Ring did with the expectations it had, with the hype it had, deliver on everything and then some. This doesn't happen. This kind of thing doesn't happen every day or every year. How long do you think it'll be before we see another game do something quite like this? Oh, I have to say next year with Armored Core. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, you piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> um, it's going to be a long time because I think what made Elden Ring so special is the fact that uh, From Software has built this incredible experience, starting with Demon's Souls way back on PlayStation 3. And Elden Ring is just the culmination of all the hard work and the craft that From Software, and especially Miyazaki here, his direction is just unparalleled to like uh, so many other developers like he is now up there in my opinion with with legends like you know shigeru miyamoto and, and so many others um but th this is a love letter to everyone who has ever picked up a controller and played dark souls bloodborne um demon souls and even even sekiro like from software has not missed 
not once. And I think that everything just comes together so well. And this is the first time they did an open world game. And their first their first time doing it is what I really think like is what has made this game make its mark and what's going to define this generation as we know it right now. I mean, there's so many more years left ahead of us, so there's no telling if we'll ever if we will ever have a game hit like hit like the um Elden Ring did. So I just I just want to say like they are the they are the the masters of the craft when it comes to boss fights. You you see so yes. many different videos ranking the boss fights, but this game's definitely going to have so many memorable moments. Um, I had so many so many good times with you, like playing online with you guys. Like I mean, Rusty, you really you really just were like you know held my hand through so much of it. Listen, but... brother, sometimes that's what it takes <laughs> in these games. These games are not easy. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not exactly exactly. Um, but. I, I completely understand why it has won Game of the Year, not just with the VGAs, but with us as well. And I cannot wait because obviously there, there's DLC coming. Like yes. I, I'm surprised they did not announce it at the VGAs, considering you know they they flew Miyazaki all the way out there. I was thinking that we were going to get that, but I mean we we got the announcement for uh, Armored Core Six. So there's no doubt in my mind that hell that even the next big game that makes its mark like eldering did will also be come from from software as well yeah i agree i'm really looking forward to armored core next year i loved Elden ring this year fantastic games and really this top 10 and the games that didn't make this list we could have done a top 20 damn near and we would have still been leaving games off so i think that this is by far and i hope we all agree on this this has been the best year in terms of games for side mission, I think that we had so yes. many excellent games, so much good content, and even the games that we didn't love, our Scorns, our Saints Rows, our Mario Strikers, our Switch Sports, even the games we didn't enjoy, I feel like we still were able to have fun with a lot of them, and when you do a podcast like we do, it's very easy for this to get monotonous, for you to get burned out doing what we do, but us having fun on these games is the main reason why we don't get burnt out, and I always, that's what I tell myself, is that Having fun and playing these games with you guys is the main reason that I don't get burned out with this podcast because it makes it fun. It, we all grind through this stuff together. We all play these games together. That's what makes yeah. doing this so much so enjoyable. And this year was an incredible year for gaming. Before we call it a wrap, before we put a bow on 2022, we all platinumed a lot of games this year. We all, Kyle especially, Kyle platinumed like 50. <laughs> Kyle Platinum, like, 50. And I know that some of them were not easy. Looking at you, Tiny Tinas. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at that shit. Uh, let's start with Thacker. We'll go to Matt. We'll go to Kyle. And I'll close us out. What was your favorite Platinum that you got this year and why? Uh, honestly, I would have to say it would be Elden Ring. Um, mainly on the simple fact of the challenge behind it. And, yes, I'm looking at you, Frenzy Fling. Yep. <laughs> I absolutely love that platinum. It was incredible. I would probably go through and do it again. I just I don't look forward to fighting Radigan and Elden Beast at all ever again. But <laughs> you know, I'd do it again just to have that platinum again. It was that much fun. I loved it. I will keep talking highly about this game to every single customer I have come through my store. <laughs> this game that I'm about to tell you about 
put me if you say fucking hell. Saints Row, I'm gonna actually throw Whoa. my laptop. <laughs> actually, no, he's gonna say that, Lego Star Wars. <laughs> that game, Saints Row, is still broken. I still can't platinum it after their whole November update. And they were like, "We fixed the game." I got on, and it's still broken. Some of my objectives, I still cannot get to. I can't even platinum that fucking piece of shit. I'm so mad about that shit. But <laughs> Pac-Man World forced me. Go to play nine levels of the original Pac-Man, and I don't think I have ever sweat so much than being on the eighth level with zero lives. That one trophy was the last thing I needed for the Platinum, and I cannot tell you how many days I spent. Just I would boot up the game. That's all I would do is I would just play original Pac-Man, and I, I'd just go for that one trophy. But... I think that it was definitely the hardest Platinum I got this year, and I am very, very proud of myself for putting myself through that because I will absolutely cherish the fact that I was able to complete nine levels of the original Pac-Man in 2022. Proud of you, Kyle. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say that my favorite Platinum that I got this year was just because already... It was such an incredible uh, story and campaign to go through, but yet you still, once you get to the end, you don't quite have the platinum just yet. But God of War Ragnarok, being able to go back and see much more of what these realms have to offer, um, a lot of the side fights that you have to do, look at your Valkyrie Queen, actually, you know, push you to your limits. A lot of frustration there. Thanks, Rusty. <laughs> Listen, um, brother, again, well, hard stuff like that. Sometimes we just got to grind through it together. It is what it is. Hand that controller to your friend. There's, there's sometimes you got <laughs> to uh, hand it to the fucking wall. But, uh, That's what I almost did. <laughs> but there's just a lot more story to be added to what was already probably such a flawless end to, to um, this arc here for Kratos. And getting to go back and just getting to upgrade stuff and finding new armor and discovering new characters and locations of places you've already visited just really added to the overall experience. Yeah, I agree. I think they got a Ragnarok's Platinum. Again, it wasn't the hardest Platinum in the world. It really, really made you earn it, though. And I think that, that that's something that I really love about that Platinum. I love my Elden Ring Platinum, my first ever Souls Platinum. Unfortunately, it's not the Platinum that I'm going to remember the most about this year. You would think that it would be Plague Tale because I love my Plague Tale Platinum as well. It's not that either. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my personal favorite Platinum this year, because again, like I, I look at when it happened, the context of how it happened and all of that, um, I'm actually going to go with Stray. Because Stray happened ten, and, I got it ten and a half hours after uh, after it launched. It launched at like I think eleven a.m. our time, ten a.m. Kyle's time. The the platinum involved having to get through a chase sequence without being touched a single time. It involved scratching a post in every chapter, and as Kyle remembers, it included not only beating the game in under two hours. You also had to nap for a total of one hour in the real world. <laughs> yup. But it's also because I think back to Stray, and that what really made that fun was that that was getting that platinum was my way of killing time before all of you guys got into town for our vacation. Oh. And yeah, so that was that's fun. that's oh, the other awesome. part of it is remembering it for that reason and for that. Uh, I, I'm always gonna remember all of these platinums and the platinums I got from games that didn't come out this year, but I got the platinums this year. You know, God of War 2018. Death Loop, those were a lot of fun to platinum, and those really made you earn it. So 
It was a great year for gaming, and it's been a great year for Side Mission. This episode's already way too long, so we're going to call it a wrap there. This is going to put a bow on our final episode of Season 1. 50-something episodes in. Kyle, holy shit. right? 50-something episodes in. This is our last episode of 2022, and from all of us to you, we appreciate every listener that has tuned in, whether it was for one episode or for all 50. We appreciate you. We'll see you in 2023. For the boys, for Thacker, for Kyle, for Matt, I'm Rusty. Thank you for listening, and everyone have a happy holiday season.